Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Syracuse is playing for the national title. It's too long, and Syracuse is your national champion. Who's out? What's up, Syracuse fans? It's Mike McAllister from AllSyracuse.com, part of the Sports Illustrated Network with episode 36 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hoffman Sausage Company. Kyle, it has been a while, but we are back. And we have five games to talk about. And part of the reason why it's been such a um, lapse or length of time between episodes is because Syracuse had five games in nine days in what is unprecedented or uh, very rare and extremely difficult to navigate during a regular season to have that many games in that short period of time. But Syracuse did. They went two and three. And here we are. It is good to be back with you, sir. It is good to be back with you as well, Mike. And it's been a it's been a weird 14 days, especially for Syracuse. We, we uh, our last episode dropped the 15th of February. It is the first of March. Um, and not only did Syracuse go uh, two and three, uh, we don't have baseball. Um I've I've aged seven years um, and we're currently sitting 15 and 15 uh, overall Syracuse, uh, which I know we'll discuss later uh, with one game left in the regular season, plus at least one ACC game. Um, So it's not looking good, Mike. Not looking good at all. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next fired head coach is going to land. Bet online is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile devices to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. Bet online is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds right to the Olympic coverage is the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, Bet Online is your number one online wagering destination. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. Bet online, where the game starts. No, it's not. Um, I mean, just bonkers, bonkers stuff. And the baseball stuff is just millionaires and billionaires fighting. And uh, you know what? If if they can't play, then you know they can pay me, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars. I'll go out and play baseball by myself anyone know if we could enlist like maybe i don't know i know i used to play basketball like Giancarlo stan or aaron judge maybe enlist them could they play center for us (laughs) ask for a friend (laughs) 
Sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, my friend's name is uh, uh, Jim Beheim. Asking for him. <laughs> yes. And speaking of Beheim, before we start getting into the basketball stuff, um, I did just want to mention that news did break that Tuesday afternoon. Jim Beheim's wife, Julie Beheim, was robbed at gunpoint in the Destiny USA parking lot. Um, she is okay, but it sounds like her purse was stolen. Um, a guy approached her vehicle and pulled out a gun grabbed her purse, got back into his own vehicle where there were other people inside that other vehicle and they drove away. So um, police are looking for any tips as to who that may have been. So if you happen to have heard anything, know anything, please contact um, Syracuse police. So that's obviously we're glad that Julie is perfectly fine. She is okay. Other than, you know, perhaps being a little rattled, slightly traumatized from such an experience, but um, you know, at least, that's the worst of it could have been far worse. So um, if, if you happen to know anything, um, you know, please do the right thing and, and help the police out there. That said, let's get into less serious matters and more fun matters with Syracuse basketball. Last five games, two and three wins against Boston College and Georgia Tech and then losses to Notre Dame, Duke and North Carolina as they face three of the top teams in the ACC the North Carolina Notre Dame games were very close. The Duke game was not. Syracuse dominated Boston College. The Georgia Tech game was right down to the wire. They held on there. Um, just kind of a hodgepodge situation, kind of a um, summation of the season in totality, in that Syracuse beat the lesser teams. Um, they had their share of struggles against the better teams and got blown out by the really, really good team. Just kind of a, a five game stretch that you know, I think probably if you went into it, this, the smart money was on the, exactly the way it played out. See, you called this the less serious, more fun topic. I wouldn't classify this as fun personally. Uh, it's quite painful discussing um, Mark Williams dropping over 20 points basically being uh, the equivalent of Joel Embiid against us. Um, <laughs> I did not like watching that, um, but you're right. It was a hodgepodge. It was a mix of just everything. I mean, we were expected to beat BC. We kind of torched them here. Uh, we were expected to beat Georgia Tech. We beat them by one. Um, Notre Dame was rough, and we'll talk about it. Um, Duke, obviously, we were we were at it. Um, I was sitting up uh, quite high up in the stands uh, and did not have a fun time. Not because of the seats were bad, because every shot it felt like at the start of that Duke game, which again, we'll discuss later, went in, which every time it went in, uh, one more of my heartstrings got pulled off and I got sadder and sadder as we went. Uh, and then North Carolina last night, uh, I was with the uh, head of Otto's Army, Jonathan Danilich, uh, and we were together at halftime. And he was like, wow, we're playing so well. Uh, I think I got a text from him uh, or we chatted after um, and I saw him on Twitter as well. And everyone saw it. Uh, it was quite sad. Um, so, you know, bit of a mixed bag of emotions. We got them everywhere. Um, and I'm happy to be back here to discuss everything. But, man, I'm also not happy to discuss these things. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't blame you. It was it was uh, a rough five game stretch, uh, at least the last three of it, but, um, you know, brief summary of each game, you know, we'll just, we'll kind of go through each one. Right. So 
Boston College game. Syracuse largely controlled that one. That was that kind of went as expected. Syracuse wins by 20, you know, especially since, you know, Syracuse controlled the first game, um, winning by nine in a game that really wasn't even that close. Um, and, and Syracuse kind of did the same thing, played a little bit better defense at home, which is to be expected. The Georgia Tech game went into overtime. Um, and, you know, Syracuse kind of held on there late uh, when Georgia Tech had three or four looks at a potential game winner and missed all of them. Syracuse hangs on and, and gets a win there. At Notre Dame, this was a game that was close throughout. And was a two-point game with about three, four minutes to go. And then Syracuse went into a little bit of a shooting slump. It was 65-63 with about four minutes to go. And that's when everything kind of fell apart there for Syracuse. Uh, was was unfortunate because they had battled back. Um, but... You know, a three-pointer by Prentice Hub with three and a half minutes to go on a possession where Syracuse played excellent defense, and he had to chuck one up from several steps behind the the three-point line with the shot clock just about to expire. Hand in his face, the ball went about as high as it possibly could without hitting the rim or without hitting the roof, it seemed, and came down, went through the net. Just a rough break. A ridiculously lucky shot for Notre Dame, but it counts. And that was kind of all she wrote at that point. Syracuse did get it back down to three with about two minutes to go. And then again with a minute and a half to go, but couldn't make the plays in the final minute and a half. It ended up losing by 10 points, but the game was was much closer than that uh, most of the way. And, And it's tailgating season and no one does it better than Hoffman Sausage Company. Beer Bratwurst, Jalapeno Cheddar Sausage, Kabasi, and Bun Length Chicken Sausage. Add them to the menu with classic German Franks and Snappy Grillers, and fans will go wild. Proudly made in New York since 1879, when you bite into a Hoffman, you experience a little bit of upstate history. Taste tells, Hoffman is a proud partner of Syracuse University Athletics. We'll get to Duke in a second. That was a a sad sigh there, Mike. That was a sad sigh there. I was going to start talking about Jesse Edwards, but I want to talk about the North Carolina game first, because I think the Jesse Edwards point kind of goes into both the Notre Dame and North Carolina games. So North Carolina game, Syracuse jumps out to an early nine point lead. I think they made their first five or six shots and really kind of gave notice right away that they were not going to just be a pushover for North Carolina to blow out and have an easy senior night victory. And now North Carolina comes back and takes a lead in halftime. And then they stretched it a little bit early in the second half, but then Syracuse came back, took a lead and it kind of went back and forth, back and forth, both teams right there. And then Syracuse is up by one. North Carolina misses a shot with a little over 40 seconds to go. And Syracuse gets the rebound. Now Syracuse was dominated on the board. So the fact that they got that rebound in and of itself with 40 something seconds to go was a minor miracle, but um, there, there was about a 12 second difference between the shot clock and the game clock. So North Carolina did not need to foul. They play defense. Syracuse winds the clock down. 
and elects to have Buddy Beheim go isolation one-on-one. Now, in this game, Cole Swider shot unbelievable. He was 14 for 21 overall, 7 for 11 from 3, scored a career-high 36 points. He had uh, you know, half of Syracuse's points in regulation just about. He was just phenomenal in this game. He was the only reason we were even close in this game. He was the only reason Correct. we were in this game at all. Correct. You know, Buddy had a, had a decent game. Um, I think he was only two for nine or, or three for yeah, 10 or he, something like that for the was, point range. Yeah, Buddy was five for 13, two for five from three. Eh. <laughs> Is the best way to put it? Yeah, I mean, so it, it wasn't a spectacular game. Um, uh, wasn't a terrible game. But, uh, you know, Syracuse, Syracuse's offense was paced by Cole Swider. But Cole got so hot, North Carolina took its best defender, Leaky Black, off of Buddy and put him on Cole. And then when that happened, Syracuse started going to Buddy and having him attack. And he was getting into the lane and made, uh, you know, a few shots late in the game, including um, a shot that he didn't make, but he drew the defense to him and allowed Barama Sidibe um, to get an, an offensive rebound put back, which gave Syracuse the lead with a minute 13 to go setting up the rebound and, and this, this possession here I'm about to discuss. So buddy winds the clock down and he starts to attack the rim as he had the previous few possessions. And as he's driving, the ball is knocked out of bounds by um, Caleb Love. So the ball goes out of bounds and Syracuse calls timeout. They call timeout to set up a play with four seconds left on this, on the shot clock, 16 seconds left in the game. Basically Syracuse makes a shot and North Carolina is either going to hit a three to tie it or perhaps Syracuse fouls and send them to the line so they can't. Either way, put Syracuse in a great spot. You don't score, and any basket could potentially win it for North Carolina. Syracuse hits a three at that point. You put it to a two-possession game, and the game is all but over. So incredibly important. Syracuse calls timeout to set up an inbounds play. The play was set up to have um, Buddy come off of a screen that was set by Barama in the middle of the lane, and... Cole Swider was coming around the top of the key. Joe Girard was inbounding. His first look was to Cole coming around up top and to throw the ball a little bit on the long side. And then Cole could essentially just catch and pull up from three and, and see what happens. Or the secondary read would be then to inbound it to Buddy as he's kind of going towards the corner. But Syracuse has another timeout. So if neither is open, if Joe doesn't feel comfortable, he can call timeout and they'll set something else up or run the same thing again or whatever it is. So he doesn't really look at Cole, but Cole had an opening. So he could have thrown it out there. Instead, he tries to do a bounce pass over to Buddy. He throws it too low right at Buddy's uh, Buddy's feet. It bounces off of his shoe, goes out of bounds. It's a turnover. So not only did Syracuse not even get a shot off, they didn't run any, they didn't even run the final four seconds off of the shot clock. So North Carolina gets the ball with 16 seconds left. They bring the ball up court. They call timeout. They run a play. Caleb Love, who until the last two minutes of the game was three for 15 shooting. 
was having an awful game. And so, of course, what does he do? He hits two three-pointers in the last two minutes. And including this one with eight seconds to go that puts North Carolina up two. Joe Girard then gets the inbounds pass and just sprints to the other end of the floor, pulls up for a mid-range jumper and hits it to send it into overtime. North Carolina dominates the overtime. It really wasn't even competitive at that point. Two things I want to mention. Three things, actually. First, not being able to execute that inbounds play is inexcusable. Um, it, It just can't happen. It's the second time this year where because Syracuse couldn't inbound the ball late with a lead with seconds to go, they end up losing the game in overtime. Wake Forest being the other one. So clearly this is an issue. And... You know, it it is what it is, but it's it's frustrating to watch and not be able to execute something that should be relatively simple and you should be able to execute a high percentage of the time. Second, on the Caleb Love three-pointer, personally, I think that's a shot you live with because he was several steps behind the three-point line. Yes, he had made his previous three, but that was a couple of minutes ago. He hadn't been shooting the ball well all night. And where Syracuse was having its problems was inside. They couldn't stop Brady Manick or Armando Baycott. If North Carolina decided it wanted to go inside and try to get a layup down by one, you would have felt like that was a high percentage shot for them. As someone watching it from the Syracuse perspective, that's what I was concerned with, was that North Carolina was going to go right back inside where they've had success all night and get an easy look at the basket and win it. Now, in hindsight, if they had done that, that might have actually been better for Syracuse because Joe Girard comes down and hits a shot that then would have won it. But either way, you don't know that at the time. So the fact that you force a guy that hadn't been shooting well to take a three-pointer several steps behind the three-point line, and he just happens to make it, when you're a bad defensive team, you kind of got to pick your poison. You kind of live with that. The other thing I want to mention, the third thing is, Joe Girard, when he's driving down and ends up hitting the shot to send it to overtime, I've always thought if you're the underdog on the road in that scenario, you pull up and go for the win. Pull up from three. I thought that immediately when the ball was inbounded to him was pull up for three and try to win it here. You go into overtime, that's more, that's a longer period of time for the better team to assert their dominance. So that's kind of my thought on the way that the North Carolina game played out. The reason I wanted to go there and skip Duke, and then we'll let Kyle get, get his thoughts in as I thought both the North Carolina game and the Notre Dame game were games that if Syracuse has Jesse Edwards, I think they win both. They almost certainly win at least one of them. And man, if you win both of those instead of 15 and 15, you're 17 and 13 And no, I don't think you're an NCAA tournament team. I don't think you're really that close to the bubble, but at least you make it somewhat interesting. And then you've all but clinched your winning season streak uh, situation. So it just, it just feels once again, just that close for Syracuse basketball this season and something somewhat out of their control, like an injury to Jesse Edwards could be the thing that keeps them out. I, I don't even know where to begin. I'm going to be honest. Um, Just off of this UNC game alone. Again, I agree. You live with that shot. Um, I don't know what it is with Joe and inbounds, but it just, it feels like it's the wrong thing every time. 
I would much rather, honestly, um, put, I don't know, Jimmy inbounding. And that way you have a third shooter out there. I don't know. It was, again, you said it. It's been two two times where we've had bad inbounds by Joe that have in part cost us the the end of the game. And that's an issue. Um, In terms of the him driving at the end of the game instead of pulling up for a three, I'm honestly okay with the two-pointer. Would I have loved the three to win the game? Yes. But in that case, I'll take what we can get. Um, He gives us a shot at least. Um, It's just... I don't know how at the end of that game on the inbounds, you don't look at Cole, Cole Swider and Cole Swider again. I get Buddy's our best player, but the rule in basketball is when a player's hot, you feed the hot hand. You keep feeding the hot hand until he goes cold, which will be never. Cole Swider was seven for 11 from three. Yes, it would have been a shitty shot, but he put that three ball up. It takes multiple seconds off the clock. Probably, it probably gets close to ending the game. I I don't know why you don't look there and there alone. Instead, you look at Buddy in the corner. Because but going to a corner is a horrible idea all the time. I, I don't know. But, and here's the other thing with that, right? Is Cole 7 for 11, he was not wide open on those all game. He was off he was balance, guys in his face. He was getting bumped. He had one three that was somewhat this. I don't remember if this was in overtime or towards the end of regulation, but he hit a three where a guy clearly hit him on the elbow and he still hit it anyway. Um, I mean, it. There's there's no question to me that even with an off-balanced, hand-in-your-face three-pointer from Cole, the way he was shooting, I don't think anyone complains if he's the one taking that shot. So No, no one does. And, and even if he misses, because it's a three, yes, North Carolina is dominating on the boards, but what can offset a team being dominant inside is a long shot that ends up with a long rebound. The ball bounces out and kicks out and Syracuse grabs it. Now North Carolina has to foul and you're a good free throw shooting. So what if that, what if that ball bounces off the rim and ends up towards the corner somewhere that takes off more seconds. That means that all of a sudden the UNC guy has to get that ball in the corner, stop and then turn if, unless we get the ball, like either way, it is a better chance that going to the corner is never a smart plan. That's just, Unless the guy is wide open and you're on the baseline, that is the only time you let yourself go to the corner. But even then you say no. I I don't know. I just I want to move on from that. And I this team, man, this team is just infuriating. I know. I we, mean, it's not even that, like, yes, we all had hope. They started playing well down the lot, like the stretch here, but we had never really seen the team just everyone play well and play how we thought they would this year. We never really saw it. Even with Jesse, we never saw buddy go for 30 points consistently. We never saw Joe shoot the light ball lights out in the second half of the season. We didn't see Cole play well until this game. He's been honestly garbage in the Duke game. We'll discuss in a second. He barely played like he just, I have so many problems with every possible person on this team. There has not been a player who was you can hold their hands up and say they played well this season. The only one you could consider would be Jesse. That is about it. I don't want to give any other player props on this team this season. They just consistently, there was nothing good. 
not a single player out like again outside of Jesse, I would say is good. Was was good this year, but he was worse. Jimmy wasn't great. Frank, meh. Cole, not great. Joe, very hit or miss. Off the bench, Benny, we'll discuss him in a minute. I Barama, same. It's just, and then Samir got hurt in the Duke game. Like, it's just, we didn't get good this season. Even when we had that stretch, we played well. We, we weren't playing great. Like, we were playing better. But that doesn't mean much when playing better for how you have been all year is being a very average team. That there is no point this year where we saw Syracuse play like a team that we all thought they were going to be. We thought they were going to be a team that competed in the NCAA tournament because you have Buddy Beheim who's playing lights out. Joe Girard was going to get better. Jesse was going to be good. Cole was going to be good. Jimmy was going to add something. Benny was this young stud guy who's going to do something. Samir off the bench is going to be great. We had all this promise and we got diddly squat for it. We got absolutely nothing. We're not going to go to the NIT tournament. That's how bad we are. Uh, and so we've discussed at length once we kind of got to the midway point of the season and we kind of saw the way this was going, we've discussed at length on this, on this podcast that the most important thing going forward was for Syracuse to try to preserve Jim Beheim's winning season streak. Well, if Syracuse does not, and, and we'll talk about you know, the, the final game of the regular season senior night in a few minutes, if Syracuse doesn't, it's because of games like this against North Carolina at Wake Forest, two games where not being able to execute an inbounds play costs you the game, um, having a double-digit lead against a bad Pittsburgh team, a bad Georgetown team, and a Colgate team that you should beat, regardless of how good of a Colgate team it is, um, not being able to execute down the stretch against teams like Virginia and Florida State in your building. I mean, that's all of those things, you know, if Syracuse does one of those, then the streak is fine. But now you put yourself in, in a spot where you pretty much have to beat Miami. And then you need to win your first ACC tournament game, which is likely going to be against the Florida State team that you beat in a close game at their place. They beat you in a close game at your place. So that's no sure thing. You're not playing a Boston College or a Pittsburgh that you feel like you should be significantly better than. So, and then if you win that game, you get Duke again. Woo. And we know how that's gone. Woo, twice. We love that. Woo. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they've had several games in hand and, and have figured out ways uh, to lose them. But that said, let's talk about the Duke game briefly. There's there's a couple of things. We know that Duke was significantly better. Duke dominated Syracuse. They got up by 30 real quick, and the game was basically over. We don't need to break all that down because that's, I don't, that's I don't self-explanatory. Think, firstly, I don't think real quick gives an idea as to how fast it was. Duke had 30 points with like four minutes in the game. It was yeah. – I have never seen – again, We've like we discussed it beforehand – We've never seen a team start that fast in a very long time. We've seen them end well, as uh, we discussed previously before the episode, which was Virginia a few years ago with Kyle Guy and that team of weirdos. But we've never seen a team start like this. They just could not miss. Every shot they put up, you were like, it's going in. 
no matter where it was on the floor, what shot it was, it was going to go in. Or it was going to find Mark Williams, and then it was going to go in. There was only two options there. No doubt. And uh, at one point, Duke was on pace to score about 170 points. And I was next to um, a colleague of mine um, at on press row. And we were immediately trying to look up what is the most point Syracuse has ever allowed in a game? What is the most point Syracuse has allowed in the dome? What is the most points that Syracuse has ever allowed in the Jim Beheim era? We're looking up all of these records because the way that Duke was scoring and the way it was looking, they were all going to get shattered. Now it didn't turn out that way. Duke couldn't even score as many points as Colgate did on Syracuse slackers, but how dare um, they not score as many as Colgate? <laughs> I, should, Paolo, Paolo Chero shouldn't even be a top five pick anymore. We'll get him to like, a G League status. Honestly, tell me this, be, being dead serious, right? We, we, you just mentioned, right, the expectations that that we all had for Syracuse coming into the season and what we thought, you know, no one was thinking that they were going to be legitimate national championship contender type, but we all thought that they were going to be a team that should be in the tournament or at worst would be on bubble watch again, et cetera. No one thought they'd be 15 and 15 and, and what they have been. So... With all of that, with the expectations of preseason, Buddy Bayheim's being mentioned as a preseason All-American and potential ACC Player of the Year, all these things, if you had told me Colgate would score more points against Syracuse than Duke this season, I would have said, oh, well, you know Syracuse is going to beat Colgate because they've beaten them almost 70 times in a row. That means that Duke must have only scored like 50 or 60 points, which means Syracuse defense is a lot better than we thought they'd be. So Syracuse definitely beat Duke at least one of the games. So that means you're going to have a good season. That If you had said that prior to the season, that would have been the logical conclusion. Instead, here we are, and Syracuse lost both of those games. It is what it is. See, Mike, you're using logic, and I know. you forget with Syracuse, there is no logic. <laughs> the logic is defied by us at every possible step of the way. We made A.J. Griffin look like Clay Thompson. On the floor. Mark Williams was Joel Abid. It wasn't even close. I've I, never seen a big man dominate a game so much in college basketball. I've, I've never like it. Anytime the ball got even remotely close to him, it was either in his hands or he was swatting it away. He only had three blocks. felt like he had 12. That was how bad this game was. There was one possession and I was sitting in the top. I was quite high up. You could see, I believe it was Joe driving towards the left side of the basket from right to left drove, went up with it, did a pump fake around Paolo Bonchero, I believe, and then went to either put it up or had to pass the corner to someone who's wide open. And he said, you know what? I see Mark Williams right here. I'm going to try and go over him. And Williams put an arm up and the ball hit just below his wrist, give or take. And Mark Williams grabbed the ball. They went down and got a layup. And that was quite like emblematic of the game. It was we were lucky to lose by 25. We were lucky to lose by 25. I'm fairly confident you could have put us out there and we would have lost by maybe 30. Maybe. <laughs> it, I don't know. I don't. The only positive from this game, the only positive is that Benny Williams played 30 minutes. That is the only positive I have is Benny Williams played more than four minutes this game and he got 30 and he didn't play bad either. <laughs> no, he he played. It was the best that he has looked all season. And that was what I wanted 
wanted to get to with with the Duke game is the positive slash silver linings are a couple of things. One, the atmosphere was unbelievable. I still maintain that when the dome gets 30,000 plus there and kudos to um, the aforementioned uh, leader of Otto's army for the job that they did setting a student record over 8,800 tickets sold. Um, Just the student section was absolutely absurd. It's the best I've ever seen it. I've been going to games um, for, you know, 30 some odd years uh, from the time that I was here growing up to, to now. So it's the best I've ever seen it. And I've seen some remarkable student sections um, at the dome before none better than what I saw on Saturday. And the crowd in general, was fantastic the atmosphere was great i mean also as you said the crowd real quick i just want to quickly get to this point because this i didn't know this until he came on screen was alan iverson at the game he was yeah he was adam weitzman's guest what just like Giannis was the guest um you know a couple weeks ago whatever it was but against wake forest alan iverson Um, Alan really? Iverson, of all people. <laughs> I know, was, I, I, I'm not saying Alan Iverson was bad. I was just thrown off by because no one knew he was coming. And then all of a sudden, like, we're out the game and like, oh, Alan Iverson's here. And everyone was like, huh? <laughs> I mean, I'd get it if it was Syracuse Georgetown. He had 35,000 oh, yeah. people there and he decided to bring Alan Iverson. And, and you know, you could make the argument that, well, why is Syracuse a Syracuse guy bringing a Georgetown guy there? But at least there'd be some correlation. This just seemed very random, but a lot of the guests he brings seemed very random. You could have brought you could have brought a Duke person. You could have brought a Syracuse guy. There was a lot more you could have done. I know I'm being nitpicky here, but it was just such a it threw us all off seeing Allen Iverson just sitting there chilling. And he like put his fingers. He was like, sup, y'all. And that was it. And we were like, huh? <laughs> it was it was very weird. Um, but so the the atmosphere and when Syracuse got down early by as much as they did, pretty much everyone in the building knew that outside of some miraculous craziness, the game was pretty much over. But the crowd stayed. I mean, they stayed for they the did. whole game. They were into it for the whole game. Syracuse made a little bit of a run, and I think it got down to 14 or 15. Uh, they cut it to seven. It was up to 30-31. They cut it to 17 at halftime, and then Buddy made the first shot of the second half, and it got down to 15. And, yes, 15 against Duke is still a lot, but you know, you're two threes away from it being in single digits, and now you got a ball game. Uh, Duke ended up going on a run and, and put it back out of reach, but you had a, a – very slim amount of hope at that point. The the crowd was into it the entire time. They were fantastic. So that was a big takeaway, especially because you had Judah Mintz, who's an elite 2022 recruit. Syracuse is trying to get to sign and to join him for next season. He was there. And so the crowd, um, Syracuse fans certainly portrayed the support of the program in a, a very positive light for an elite recruit who was in attendance. So that was a very big positive takeaway. But the other was, as you mentioned, Benny Williams. He played 30 minutes. He was five for seven shooting. He scored 14 points. He grabbed six rebounds. He was four for four from the free throw line. He was active, energetic. He was the about the only one who could match the athleticism of the Duke players. Um, his first bucket was a backdoor cut where Jimmy Beheim found him and he went to go either dunk it or lay it in and two Duke defenders jumped up there to block it. And he hung in the air, kept the ball down and did a reverse layup that 
honestly, there's no one else on the team that could have made that play. There's just not, there's nobody that has that level of athleticism and bounciness and everything else. And it, it was the first time because as much as Benny Williams has been discussed at length, should he be getting more playing time and all this stuff? The one thing you hadn't seen was a significant flash of his potential to say, that's why he was such a highly regarded recruit. You saw that against the best team that Syracuse has faced all season, or perhaps second best if you want to say that Auburn's better. But certainly the best team that they played in conference. And Benny Williams played exceptionally well, and I think that is a huge positive for him to to grow on for next season. Um, I also yeah, want to add on Benny. He knows Syracuse fans. He is not leaving. He has said it 20 times. Stop asking him. He's not leaving us. Okay. He has said he's not leaving. We're going to trust him at his word. Cause I have never seen more people say Benny's going to leave now. I've not, you're going to force him out by saying that all the time. If you say he's it not. three times, he's gone. He's going to happen. Not. He reiterated again. After the, the game, he was time. asked again for the, yeah, for the, you know, it's, it's ridiculous that it's still a thing, but um, here's all you need to know about Benny Williams. If there was any hint, small inkling at all that he's leaving, guess what the Syracuse coaches don't do play him. That elite recruit that I mentioned that was there. They're not having Benny Williams hanging out with him to try to pitch him to come join him up at Syracuse because they know he might not be sticking around, which means he's not the best pitch person that we need for him. We need one of these other guys that is either we know is leaving or is um, someone that you know is staying, whatever the case is, Jesse Edwards, whatever. Instead, they had Benny Williams as the guy that he, that he spent quite a bit of time with, but that tells you that the coaching staff trusts him and that Benny's sticking around. He's trying to bring as much talent to, to be around him as possible. So um, outside of just his quotes, the actions of Benny and of the coaching staff all suggests that he's coming back as well. But I just thought that his performance in this game, regardless of what he does, you know, he played a little bit against North Carolina. didn't really do much regardless of what he does against Miami, regardless of what he does in the AC tournament, and potentially the NIT if 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 they if they play in that regardless of any of that this performance against duke is something he can build on for the offseason i thought was a huge huge positive uh perhaps the most important positive from these these last five games so far oh it was easily the only positive thing i took away from any of these games i mean we'll discuss them in a little bit but he's going to start next year he's a starter and he got more minutes than Cole Swider and Frank Anselm combined I mean, Cole got 14, Frank got 12, Jimmy got 21, Benny got 30, Sidibe got 26. I mean, this was just a weird game, um, at least in terms of who played where. And we also had Samir get hurt with a concussion. I mean, this game, honestly, was just ridiculous to watch. Um, and the loudest cheer of the night, though, even not include, not even include, like, or including, screw it. Including the starting the starting tip, including the tip off, the biggest cheer of the night was Benny Williams' first bucket. As soon as it went in, I've never seen more people celebrate anything. 
in, in, in that game. It was celebrated widely because everyone's like, this is what we wanted to see. We've known he was coming. We finally get to see him play against the best team we faced all season, not including Jabari Smith and Auburn, as you said, that the best team we face every year consistently. He just did that to them. He just dropped 14 and has played. How many times has he played over 10 minutes? Like once all year, maybe he's probably played 10 minutes total this season, basically. <laughs> uh, and he got 30 and dropped a cool 14 points when the rest of the team couldn't shoot up brick. They couldn't shoot a brick. They were that I bad. I, I mean, buddy was 10 for 21. Joe was seven for 16. We went five for 18 from three. That's not good. I just nothing worked. The only thing that did work was Benny shooting the ball. And it felt like every shot he was taking went in and it felt really good. It felt nice to cheer. You know, I love cheering for the team. It's <laughs> tough when just nothing goes in and your players are playing poorly and every shot Duke takes goes in and Mark Williams is seven foot nine and can dunk the ball with three arms. I, it, it <laughs> you know, it was nice to see. It was really nice to see. Yes, it was certainly a huge positive. So on to what's left. Um, and that sadness. would be the <laughs> hopefully not sadness. Um, I have a I have a weird feeling about this, this Miami game. And I felt this way ever since they played them the first time. That was a game that Syracuse got up by 18 and uh, in the first half had a double digit lead. I think it was 14 or 15 at halftime. And then Miami came storming back and ended up winning in a close game. Um, Miami is a good team. There's, there's no question. They are better than Syracuse this year, obviously, right? That's I'm not breaking any news with, with that comment. Well, um, Mike, before you go any further, currently per ESPN, we are favored to win 66% to 34%. I know that. Well, and, and that's what I was going to say. First of all, all of the metrics and the analytics have way more respect for Syracuse than one, you'd think that they deserve based on the record performance, et cetera, or two, any human beings are giving them, right? If you look at um, Vegas odds and analytics and matchup predictors and all of those things, Syracuse is usually in better shape in a lot of these games than, than you'd suspect. So um, as you mentioned, ESPN matchup predictor, has Syracuse at a 65.8% chance to win the game. Uh, for comparison's sake, I believe they were at around 24, 25% chance to win against North Carolina. Um, but these two teams have played each other before. Miami is not playing as well recently as they had coming into that game. They've still got one more game between um, now and then. They play Wednesday night against Boston College. But in their recent games, they lost to Virginia Tech by one. They blew out Pittsburgh. Shocker. They lost to Virginia. They beat Louisville in a close game. They beat Wake Forest in a close game. And then they beat Georgia Tech in a close game. But before that, they lost to Notre Dame and Virginia. So they've been, you know, once they've gotten into the meat of conference play, they've been very up and down. Whereas the last time that Syracuse played Miami, Miami had won. Looks like about six or seven games in a row coming into that game. And Syracuse ends up losing by a point in a game that they led by 14 at the half. They gave up 60 points, 58 points in the second half. Uh, but Syracuse scored 87 points. I think they'll be able to score. Miami's not a great defensive team. Um, 
You've got two Bayheims on this team that don't want to be on the team that costs his dad, their dad, his winning season streak. I, I've had a feeling as I've been evaluating the end of the schedule that the Miami game at home was the most winnable of the four in the last four games. And it's one that I felt like they were going to get. I still feel that way. I think they're going to come out and play really, really hard as they have all season. I mean, it's one thing you can say about this team is they have played hard every game, but um, you know, that, that was a game. They shot 50%. They shot 53% from three. You know, that's, they just, they lost the game because they couldn't defend, but uh, you had three guys with over 20 points. Now, Jesse Edwards is one of those. He's not in this game, but Buddy only scored nine points and Syracuse scored 87. So we'll see what happens. We don't know if Samir Torrance is going to be back for it, but um, you know, that that's a game. I think that Syracuse fans should go into honestly expecting that, that you're at a minimum going to have a chance to win. So that's the reason that's important. We've already addressed with the, with the winning season streak on the line. You win that game. You got to win your first ACC tournament game. And then if you lose your one game over 500 going into the NIT, you win your first NIT game theoretically at home and you've clinched the, the streak continuance. So that's, that's why the game's important. That's why I think Syracuse is going to come out and play well. And um, then they'll, they'll at some point enter an off season. That's going to be very interesting because I think this year's team has a lot of experience, a lot of veterans, despite the flawed nature of, of the roster composition. Next year's team is going to be much more athletic, but also a lot younger. So it's going to be really... Are you calling Jimmy Beheim unathletic and Brahma yes. Sidibe unathletic? I'm not calling Brahma Sidibe unathletic. Let me put it this way. All of them are infinitely more athletic than I am. However, <laughs> if you're comparing to ACC level players, then no, Jimmy Beheim is 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 not at that level. He can he can play fine against you know almost everybody in the conference outside of the Dukes and the North Carolinas. But you know it's it's not the same caliber of athlete that people are used to seeing with Syracuse and, you know, it's a, it's a step slow. It's a half step slow. It's not necessarily because you don't know which rotations you're supposed to make. It's because you can't make them as fast as you need to, because it's not the same level of athlete that Syracuse usually has on the wings. So, um, yeah, that's, that's just the reality of, of what it is. Uh, but you know, Jimmy's been a decent, he's been a decent player. He's been a solid player. I don't think he's bad. Uh, I don't think this means that he's not a major conference caliber player in some capacity. You know, I just think having to play 35 minutes a game because you don't have anything else really to go to. Benny wasn't ready and, and all those things. You know, it's it's uh, it, it certainly was was part of the reason why the season went the way it did. So but it's going to be kind of the opposite of that, where you're not going to have the experience of the Jimmy, the buddy, the Cole those guys are all going to be gone and you're going to in their place have a sophomore Benny Williams, a freshman, Justin Taylor, potentially a freshman Judah Mintz. If he ends up picking Syracuse, um, you could have a, a freshman in Malik Brown, possibly starting at one of those forward spots. I mean, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that lineup and that rotation uh, works itself out because they got a bunch of, of young players coming in. 
Could have also had Dior Johnson. You know, that would have been really nice <laughs> next year. I I was talking to somebody, and I know it's slightly off topic about Syracuse and their commits leaving that we had obviously a few years ago, Darius Baisley, who on that team, if he had come here, um, honestly would have been perfect. He would have fit that team perfectly. We needed a player that was a power forward center who could shoot, could do a lot of the athletic things well, and he was that. And he ended up going to the G League and was like the first player for that new, the new G League route that players are now going in where you see now on the G League Ignite team with Jalen Green having gone there and other players, Moses Moody, Jonathan, or not Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga and a few others, um, then going that route instead. He was the first one to do that. Um, And now you see D.R. Johnson, who committed, I believe, his sophomore year to Syracuse, which everyone felt was too early. Um, but we all got excited about, and then he decommitted and he uh, is joining Quincy Gurrier, uh, former Syracuse player in Oregon. Um, honestly kind of hurts. Um, and by kind of, I mean, it hurts a lot, uh, because Dior could have been it. He's a six, three guard who, along with this team next year, I can't even imagine how he would have looked. Um, we, we next year are going to be an athletic young team. With Dior at the helm of that team, that, man, that would have been really fun to watch. I don't know about you. Um, yeah, no doubt. I mean, there, there's no doubt. Um, the the one thing I'll say is every time Syracuse basketball gets a commitment or interest or, you know, they're recruiting someone heavily, I always get the, I'll believe it when they're actually wearing the uniform because they're jaded from those experiences. However, the one thing I'll say is, with basketball recruiting, that's three players. And you look at like the last decade, it's the only three players it's really happened with. I know mm-hmm. it could potentially happen more often now because of those situations. Uh, but Dior and Kamari lands were a little bit different than Darius Baisley. Baisley signed with Syracuse. He didn't decommit and end up going to a different school. He just decided to turn pro. So that's a little bit different to me then a Dior Johnson deciding to decommit, then a Kamari Lands deciding to decommit. Um, you know, those those were different situations than Basley. But regardless, nothing that Syracuse can do about that now. Syracuse is going to have an influx of talent, so we'll see how ready they are to play starting next season. That'll do it for episode 36 of the Believe in Syracuse podcast presented by Bet Online and Hawkins Sausage Company. For Kyle F., I'm Mike McAllister, and we'll see you next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.